Hey, it's Justin, and I have a big announcement and personal invitation for you. This May, we're inviting a small group of people to Austin to learn how to grow their wealth tax-free and get access to some of my personal friends and experts in the industry. We did something similar last year, and the feedback was incredible, so we set aside a few tickets for non-Mastermind members to join us for this event. You'll spend some time learning from Garrett Gunderson, the brilliant and hilarious mind behind Money Unmasked, and the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Killing Sacred Cows, and one of my favorite books, What Would the Rockefellers Do? He's going to share his insights on how to grow your assets tax-free with life insurance. And you'll also get some time with Rob Dial, the mastermind behind the Mindset Mentor Podcast, who will share with you how to find fulfillment in success. Then you'll get to participate in a special investment presentation, in-depth discussions, and breakout sessions on two crucial yet often overlooked topics, personalized tax strategies and wealth building. Plus, when you register, you'll have the opportunity to attend a one-day course the day before on vetting deals. If you want to learn our process so that you can make great decisions, there's no better teacher than Hans Box. This is our most requested topic, and it'll be an exceptional course. Seats for the course and the one-day event are limited, so if you're interested, please grab your ticket today. I always say you're just one connection, one decision, and one strategy away from true freedom, and I look forward to helping you on your journey. Head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash live or click the link around this video and secure your ticket now before we sell out. Hope to see you in Austin this May. Once again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash live. I can't wait to see you there. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth, while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now, I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. In this episode, I'm speaking with Dinesh Gauba. Dinesh and I have done countless deals together where we've had the opportunity to leverage and share our networks, our resources, and our knowledge of different spaces. What makes Dinesh a uniquely great investor is his incredible sense of deal flow. Though he got started in real estate, he also has extensive experience as an angel investor. He sees opportunities everywhere. He knows the ins and the outs of private deals and is one of my favorite people to bounce ideas off of. Today, Dinesh joins the podcast to talk about the power of collaborative investing. During our discussion, we cover one, how to collaborate and partner with people on investment deals. Two, how Dinesh uses what he calls asymmetric risk reward to make life-changing bets without sacrificing his financial life in the process. And three, steps you can take to optimize your cash flow and ensure you'll always have liquidity when you need it. 
One more thing, before we get to today's interview, if you haven't already, be sure to hit the subscribe button on Apple or wherever you're listening so new episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. Thanks for listening, and without further delay, my conversation with Dinesh Gauba. Well, I am so excited to be spending time with my good friend Dinesh. It has been uh, really a little bit of time. Generally, you and I have been catching up on a pretty weekly basis, maybe a few times, but we've both been pretty busy. I was busy with the book launch. You were busy with a bunch of things going on as well. And uh, it's nice to reconnect. You know, we got a chance to catch up a little bit earlier uh, this week, a couple of days uh, earlier this week, but I'd love to know what all is going on in your world right now. Hey, Justin, good to see you again. No, it's been a while. Uh, Yeah, it's been a wild year last year. Uh, As you know, uh, we did a lot of fun stuff together, fun projects together, and um, there's more coming, I'm sure. And um, I've been pretty active, actively investing, really. That's bulk of where I spend my time is looking at other opportunities and building relationships and and, um, uh, finding places or ways to add value in existing companies that I'm invested in or, you know, in new ventures uh, that I'm planning to be involved in or that I'm considering. So that's one of the things that keeps me excited and motivated. Well, you do a great job of that. I mean, I think it's really important to have deal flow. Very few people have deal flow, you know, and, and it's so to me, whenever I find someone else that just has a tremendous amount of deals at any given time, like that is such a fun person for me to interact with. And that's you. I mean, you have so much deal flow. It's incredible. And you and I have done so many deals together. I mean, at this point, it's almost countless. Uh, I mean, easily double digits of deals. And uh, some I've gotten you in, some you've gotten me in. And it's been cool because we've been able to leverage and share our networks, share our resources, share just our, our understanding and knowledge base. It's been really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the fun part of investing is just, you know, collaborating with, with good people, both on, you know, on the opportunity side and on the investor side. And yeah, it's been, it's been awesome um, working with you on that and kind of bouncing off ideas and brainstorming and just, you know, looking at, perspectives right just making sure we can analyze or look at a deal from from each other's perspective and poke holes at it and uh you know share our concerns and share you know our understanding of the good and the bad which is it's always great to be able to do that with you that's a lot of fun and there's not a lot of people that i i get to do that with in general because most of the time when i'm investing i'm kind of doing it on my own and I don't I don't really have that interaction with um, in, in a lot of the deals that I do. So most of the time is just looking through all the stuff that I get and the due diligence. And, you know, sometimes the deals are very tight, like there's no allocation. I'm trying to get in and, you know, it's there's no time or it's 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 interesting the the variety of stuff that I'm involved in. So. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because same for me, like for a while, I was just investing by myself. And, uh, you know, it can get a little boring if you're not, you know, having people to bounce ideas off of. And so it's been so much more fun for me to, you know, kind of grow my network of people that I trust 
that are, you know, trusted advisors and, and peers and confidants that I can run my deals by, get their perspective. And they're not just going to tell me what they think I want to hear. You know, they're going to tell me their real opinion. And you're great about that. And you're great about picking things apart and saying, here are the concerns as I see them. And, you know, I, I mentioned this in my book, you know, I talk about the power of having more than one, you know, mind. And I even talk about relationships that I have with people exactly like you, where you have two minds working on something, you're ultimately going to have better results in that scenario than if it was just one person uh, kind of going through and doing the due diligence and vetting a deal. Right. That's the power of collaboration. So I've always been big on that. You know, when you can collaborate with the right people and, you know, trustworthy people, that's the biggest thing is finding those people that you can trust to give you the right advice or to give you, you know, good input. That's that's not always easy. So that takes a while. But, you know, it's been fun working with you on it since uh, we've managed to develop that relationship, which has been exciting. For sure. And it also helps that we've had a really good track record. So as a team, we're a good team. Uh, and, you know, our, our results speak for themselves. So I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Obviously, we have plenty that Keep is fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, right. We've got plenty that's still out there that, you know, needs to come to the finish line. But, uh, you know, the, the signs are really good. So far, we don't have anything that uh, is a dud um, that we know for sure. You know, everything has signs of life or has very vibrant um, results thus far. And so, you know, I'm pleased with that. But any investor loses money at some point in time. The goal is, you know, that if you look at it, this is like, you know, combat, you know, you might lose a battle, you just don't want to lose the war. And any investor is going to lose a battle, they're going to lose an investment, something's going to go wrong, something unforeseen is going to happen. Or maybe it was just bad due diligence on their part, and they learn that lesson for the next time. Um, but a good investor can invest in a way where the portfolio is performing really well as a whole. Uh, can you speak to that? Because you've had a lot of success in your personal life and in your professional and, and investment life. Yeah, that's a great point. And actually, it wasn't always like that, right? It might, I've, I've had some early investments blow up on me. Um, and the key is to you know, really learn from each one and to figure out you know, how you could do it better. I've learned a lot from the previous investments that I was doing earlier on and um, both about people and about deals and how to look at things and how to analyze or how to verify. My, my, my motto is trust but verify as much as you can in the deal. And, you know, even in, you know, I started off very early in real estate and, you know, I went through that cycle of like boom bust and you know, bought some things right at the peak of the, the boom and, you know, had that whole experience. And one thing I learned is that a lot of times you, if you have a loss early on, you get scared. And a lot of people get very gun shy, to, you know, take another shot at it. And that's where a lot of people get stuck is, you know, they're, they're too worried or scared to lose. And of course, Nobody likes to lose, but I think it comes down to what you just said earlier is figuring out how to get comfortable with a certain amount of loss as long as your net is going up and, you know, you can't win at any shots you don't take. So the way I look at it is take as many shots as you can with the best information and the best, you know, knowledge you can get around it 
and diversified across enough different, you know, time and and industries and you know uh, uh, asset classes that, you know, net net you should be getting ahead. And then that thing, I I feel like over time it's allowed me to expand my my sphere of what type of stuff I invest in. So you know, I started in real estate, and then after that, I started angel investing into companies, and then very quickly learned like. Oh shoot! I lost on one or two early on. Actually, the first one I lost on was a real estate deal. It turned out to be a total fraud. And you know, you you think you you do due diligence, but there's only so much you can do if the person on the other side turns out to be a criminal or just goes crazy, right? It's 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 something I learned along the way that people will be people. So you know that's why they always say you know be comfortable losing what you're you know putting in not that that's ever your intention but you you'd never want to put in so much that you you can't sleep at night if you lose it and you know i learned that the hard way early on you know i made some larger investments at that time relative to where i was at and some paid off and some didn't and the key was to not get bogged down by the ones that didn't and that's a psychological game as much as it is you know anything else you just have to master your mind mindset and make sure you're always moving forward and not getting stuck on the loss and and learning from it and how to protect yourself better the next time that's right there'll still be losses along the way but you know that that's the key lessons that i learned that's good and you brought up so much good stuff right trust but verify and I think that's important. You got to look at a deal and you got to pick it apart and you got to say, hey, what's every, what, what are all the things that are wrong in this deal and what should hold me back from making this investment? And then you've talked about how you have lost and there's only so much due diligence you can do. So you do the best that you can with the information you have and then some you're going to lose and hopefully most you're going to win. Uh, and you know, you, you brought up a couple other things. Number one, if you make an investment that keeps you up all night, every night, or you're constantly checking it every day, or you're thinking about it all the time, you put too much money in. That's it. Plain and simple. You should not be, it should not consume your life. You shouldn't be thinking of it 24 uh, seven. That means you need to de-risk. And then I also like what you said, because I believe in my portfolio, it's the same thing. It's create the cash flow that you need to cover your expenses, ideally your lifestyle, but get to your expenses first, then get to your lifestyle. And then with whatever is over that, you can either use that for increasing your income or your lifestyle rather uh, to match that income. Or what I like better is buying more assets that produce income so that the asset cash flow can increase uh, your lifestyle to where you want it to be. So think about it this way. Uh, you, you, you said, hey, I like to diversify. And I do too. I like to figure out what's one area that I can do really well at. I can get the cash flow that I need. I can then diversify across other asset classes, other asset types, and I can earn cash flow or passive income across a number of different sources. That way, if anything goes wrong, which we've both had happen to us, that it doesn't put us out, right? We still have other resources. So maybe that asset didn't work out. Maybe that investment went bust, but we've been able to have enough cash flow in enough different assets that we are fine in that scenario. Yep, exactly. And, you know, a, a big part of that is also 
the trusted network, right? So a lot of my deals come from trusted sources or a lot of the partners that I'm invested with are trusted partners. And a lot of investment comes down to the people that are involved in whatever the investment vehicle is, right? So I think it's important to build on that. You know, when I find a good team or a good partner to invest with, I'll scale that up over time as I build confidence, as opposed to trying to build that with a hundred different people, because that takes a long time, right? So it's about kind of finding that balance uh, where you get comfortable enough when something works and then, you know, double down on the stuff that works and cut the stuff that's not working. And it, I kind of apply that same thing to most of the investments uh, that I do. And I think it's similar philosophy that, you know, VCs use in venture investing and, you know, uh, private equity groups use just take the winners and double down on those or, you know, the, the relate whether that's a company or it's a relationship, that's where I choose to, you know, invest more of my time. And obviously, uh, the more of those that I can build over over my lifetime, the the more, you know, the more powerful it gets because it has a snowball effect. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting because you you talk about how important it is to develop these relationships. And I also know that you're a student first, you know, you're always learning. And so it's actually pretty funny that you and I met at a mutual friends uh, investment conference or, or you know, capital capitalism conference, Ryan Moran's event. And it was really fun because, number one, we're both there to gain a greater education and to share knowledge that we have. Uh, and then, you know, two, we connect on just a lot of levels. So we start talking and it's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe we have so many of the same philosophies and guiding principles and strategies. It was really kind of eerie. We joked about it for a while where it's like, I've never met someone that had, that holds so uh, close to them, the, the same philosophies and strategies that we each do. And so we hit it off really well, really easy, became fast friends. And, you know, really since that day, I mean, we've been talking probably every single week since or close to it. And, uh, and so that's neat. But I love that the whole way that we met was because we were taking our education seriously. We were taking our network seriously and, and being intentional with our peer group and those that were going to influence us and getting around people that have different perspectives, unique investment perspectives. So I love that about you. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I, I think, uh, you, you know, the feeling it's, it's always be learning, right? Like that's, that's what I'm always just trying to read and learn fascinated by the amount of information that's out there and the amount of stuff you can learn about. I mean, we're so blessed to be in a time that we are in now where information is so easily available and uh, it's, it's overwhelming sometimes the amount of information out there, but the beauty is the world's your oyster. You can learn about anything and uh, really start to, you know, uh, find opportunities everywhere. And that's the thing. I, I actually, intentionally don't read the news for that reason because I don't want to fill up space in my brain from stuff that doesn't lead me to anything positive or productive. So I figure I have limited time. I'd rather spend it on, you know, building relationships with people or feeding my mind with something positive and something that's going to, you know, hopefully open up to other opportunities. And that's how I've been able to find a lot of my opportunities or investments. It's, it's very interesting how a lot of them have come about. It's, it's basically on that principle of always wanting to learn and connect. 
Well, I love that because most people, they go to school, you know, those that go to college, they stop learning after college. That's it. You know, they're in their corporate job and there's nothing wrong with that, but people get comfortable and they get complacent and they just do the thing that they've been doing for however long, you know, routine guides their life. And I love just your mantra, which I share myself, and that is to always be learning, to be an eternal student, to be a lifelong learner, uh, and to be on a journey, to have never arrived, but to always be on a journey for what else is there that I can learn and that I don't know. Right. Yeah. And and that's, I think for me, that's been, that was my approach in college as well. It was like, I'm kind of self-taught. I did engineering school, but you know, I, I can't say I was in class 100% of the time. I would just read the stuff and I was good at just teaching myself stuff enough to where I could uh, I could, you know, do well in the exams and get through the class and, you know, take the take the concepts that I needed to take. So I was never huge on, you know, just going and studying masters and PhDs because it was like for me it was like I'm just doing the stuff on my own. I might as well just do it in my own time and structure and apply it and, you know, apply it in the real world. And so I started that early, uh, you know, I started investing like right after I got out of college. I remember kind of going through this obsessive phase of investing in the stock market in the mid 90s. And I, 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 I got opened up to this whole world and it was like crazy because I was young and I started I would wake up at 6.30 and trade every day. And it was such a fascinating experience for me to, you know, learn about the markets. And of course, I made a ton of money. I lost a ton of money in the crash. And, you know, it taught me a lot of things. In fact, it, it led me to a point where I stopped investing in the market for probably four or five years because I got so emotionally <laughs> scarred by the losses on all the gains that I had and how quickly I lost it that, it taught me, you know, basically uh, how to how to do it the second time around, but try to do it in a different way to kind of build it over time and protect it as you go. And so, it, you know, after a few years, I restarted on, in the public markets. And then that's when I realized a lot of the opportunities, a lot of the gains come in the private markets. And, you know, I started getting more intrigued by finding and investing in earlier stage companies. And then being in Silicon Valley, I'm just surrounded by smart people with ideas and companies, you know, that are starting solving lots of problems. And so, you know, I'm fortunate to be in a place where that's the general kind of energy here. And it's been kind of weird for me the last year because I'm not out and about that much. So I'm not, you know, engaged in those conversations as much on a day-to-day basis or, you know, in any kind of social events because there's just not much going on there. So a lot of it is just me seeking it out and reading a lot and uh, you know, learning, you know, from different sources for things that I find interesting. And and for me, investing, it, it should be fun. You know, if it's not fun, then, you know, a lot of people don't, they like to hand it off to somebody. And I, I always tell some of the, you know, students I mentor is like, hey, it's your money, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't take interest enough to learn about it and to manage it, then nobody else is going to take care of it with the same level of depth or same uh, attention to it that that you would. Uh, and so it's just better that you at least have a good foundational knowledge about 
about how to invest and how to generate cash flow and how to redeploy that cash flow and just basic concepts that you know I see a lot of people miss. It's like they're fascinated when I tell them, hey, I bought this, but I didn't pay for it. Like, what do you mean you didn't pay for it? Well, I didn't pay for it. I bought this investment that pays for it. And just that simple concept of just, you know, I never buy stuff with my money. So it's always just from my investment cash flow. If I ever want to buy anything, it's like, okay, I'll just find a way to generate the cash flow that I need to make the monthly payment. And um, I'll take on the debt to make the monthly payment because I can generate a lot more on the on the investment side of it. That's so true. It's it and it's brilliant. Like I mentioned that in my book, that this is something that we share a similar philosophy on, where you buy assets that produce income. You want to get something, well, don't just buy it out of your principal that could be earning you more money. Buy another asset that produces the amount of income to get it. Yeah, that's a shockingly simple concept to me, but it's something that I see in, in so many conversations I'm in that people just miss that and they're they're always spending and they're trying to make more money to spend it and i'm like you got it backwards don't don't be spending it when you make it find ways to spend it on cash flowing assets and then you get a lot more freedom to spend it the way you want and it's uh, it's it's something that um you know i think i i learned early on which i've been fortunate to be able to apply over time and it, it becomes very freeing over time when you can do that because, you know, you pretty much have the, the liberty to buy anything you want if you can figure out a formula to do it that way. Yeah. And you and I have had a very similar experience where early on in our investment careers, we, you know, kind of got hit in the face with a deal that didn't work out. I actually think that a lot of the reason that I have had the success that I've had is because I went through a painful beginning where stuff didn't go right. So it forced me to really learn and not just go on emotion, invest on this because it feels good and, you know, invest in this deal because my friend's investing in this deal. But I also learned that if I just put it in the stock market and hope that that works out, that's also not the best way either because you're riding the ebbs and flows of the market and it's you have way less control. So I'm a big fan of private uh, you know, enterprises, private investments, because there is more opportunity, there is more control, you can get better returns, but that doesn't mean the stock market doesn't have its place. There are still things I like to do with the stock market. I don't think it's the first place I would ever go with my money, knowing what I know today. But I do think from a long-term standpoint, once expenses are covered. And, you know, I, I, if anything happens to me, my family's taken care of because I got cash flowing assets from there. I think it makes sense to invest in the stock market, a portion, you know, not a hundred percent, a portion of your portfolio and in it for the long haul, not yeah. the short haul, not because it feels like the market tanked. So I'm getting worried. Let me pull it out. Or the market's at an all time high. Everyone's loving it. So let me put more money in, you know, those emotional trades, those emotional, you know, tugs, that's the worst time to go in. Well, that's one of the big differences between the public and the private markets, right? So if I look back at all the times that I've sold out of a stock too early, I, I'd be, I just kick myself. Like I have so many times when I can look back and say, oh, I should have I kept that stock or I kept it for this long and then I sold it and then it just took off. It's almost like the market's out to get you. So I think having that balance between private and public is good because in a private investment, you don't have that emotional roller coaster happening every day where you're looking at it and you're seeing the value go up and down. 
you have to kind of figure out a good balance between uh, having liquidity and then having things that are you're not emotionally attached to where, you know, suddenly one emotion changes and you 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 cash out of it because, you know, look at all the people that probably lost a ton of opportunity and money last year when the market crashed and, and uh, when the coronavirus hit, you know, it's it, it was unfortunate. But I remember so many people telling me like, oh, it's just going to go down and the market's going to crash. And, you know. Fortunately, I didn't. I didn't listen to all of them, and I and I made some good, uh, you know, moves in that time. But you know, I did get scared myself too, and you know, I had some large positions that I I cashed out of. Fortunately, I learned from my previous experience that I didn't cash out 100%. So I kept some chunk of it, and it turned out that those things went up like seven x in like a matter of six months. And in the past, I would have literally just you know, freaked out and sold it all. And I would have just been sitting there going, oh my God, I missed the whole ride. But so I learned over time, you know, you can, you can always diversify. You don't have to completely cash out of something if you think you're, you know, if you believe in it long-term. So having that long-term view actually helps you to stick through it or stick with it. You know, if you have a good company you believe in, you, you have to have that long-term view. Otherwise, you really miss out on a lot of the gains. And that's what I like about private investing is that you're kind of forced for the long-term view. You you can't just cash out, you know? And um, so things go up and down. And, you know, over time, if you're investing the right things, I, I think one of the key things in, in, in private deals is really knowing when to get in and what stage the deal's in and, you know, balancing that out with the number of deals that you do. So having, you know, earlier stage deals, which are riskier, of course, the, that's where the most gain can be made because you're getting in at the earliest at, the, at a lower valuation. But then you need more of those deals to kind of normalize your return, meaning, you, you know, if a few of them go bust, you still have others. And it takes, you know, maybe one or two out of five or 10 companies to make it and have a good to have a good return. Right. And so it's about finding that balance of early stage, mid stage, and then late stage companies. And by late stage, I mean stuff that's closer to exit. It's not yet public, but maybe they're on their last Series E or Series F raise. And, you know, there's light at the end where they're planning to either have some kind of acquisition or you can see they're going in the right direction to have a liquidity event. And so... You know, I also weigh out how much I invest based on that, right? So my earlier stage stuff is usually uh, smaller investments across many different companies. The later stage, I'll make bigger bets on those because they're further along and, you know, there's a better chance of liquidity. So anytime I can do an investment where I can get my capital back sooner and redeploy it, I love that. So that's why I like later stage deals from that perspective, because I can I can get my capital back and redeploy it. Or, or, or if I do debt deals, like some of the deals that we've done where you know in a fixed timeline, you're, you're getting cash flow plus you're getting your return of your capital. You know, those are, those are always good foundational deals to do and, um, you know, to build your base off. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. And, you know, we've done some really unique structures, just some of the stuff that each of us have negotiated when, you know, if I bring a deal to you and I take point on it, or you bring a deal to me and you take point, or we, you know, we both take turns. I mean, we've been able to create some pretty lucrative stuff, uh, you know, and it's interesting because I, I do think that people should have an understanding and exposure to a lot of different types of investments. So, you know, most people have all their money in the stock market. They, and, and to take it one step further, inside of a qualified plan, right? 401k, something where it's not, uh, they, they don't get utility on it. So it's tied up. They, they're, they're not getting the benefit of it today. They have to wait until someday. And uh, and so to me, it's hard to have 100% of your money in anything. But I, you know, I've got no issues with the stock market, especially if I think things are underpriced. I'm happy to go in like I did in March and April. I don't do a lot of that. I don't consider myself a day trader. I consider myself that I'll invest in the long term and, and I believe in the strength of the U.S. economy and U.S. businesses, the top 500 for, you know, an S&P 500 index. But every now and again, I might do something in the stock market, right? Um, but that comes again after cash flow. Same thing with what you're talking about with, uh, you know, early stage, mid stage, you know, closer to, to, you know, exit or, you know, some sort of um, liquidity event type of investing. I mean, I like that you and I just did a, a Series E investment together with a, a handful of people in my network. And, you know, that that's cool. And that company's going really well. I'm excited about it. But I don't do those investments uh, based on like principle that could be earning other cash, right? I, I want to get the cash flow first. So all of these tech, SaaS, uh, you know, uh, early stage, mid stage, late stage uh, startup companies, like all this is not coming from money that I could be earning cash flow on, where I need to cover my expenses. It's coming from the cash flow into those investments, and I think that's so important for people to understand. If an investment doesn't go well, and I do an early stage investment, it doesn't go well. You know, I put in a smaller amount. Uh, I generally am like you, where I go smaller early stage, a little more mid stage, a little more late stage. But let's say it doesn't work out. Well, I didn't lose the money as like principal because it was already in a cash flowing asset. I only lost that amount from maybe that month's uh, distribution to me. So that's not as big of a loss as if I had just invested in something, it went bad, and now I don't have the principal that I could draw interest on or earn you know, a li my lifestyle expenses on. And I think that's really important for people to understand. Yeah, I see it as a pot, right? So if, if you're constantly just taking out of the pot, it's going to get empty. So you, if, you, if you have streams that are coming in and you're taking some stuff out of the pot and putting it somewhere, even if you lose... The pot's being refilled, and that's always the key, is make sure the pot's being refilled. And yeah, sure, you might sometimes find opportunities where you, you, know, you want to deploy funds and you take out of this pot, but and you, know, you don't know until later whether it's going to be a, a good decision or a bad one. But in the meantime, as long as your pot's being refilled with something, whether it's ideally it's passive income, uh, but either way, if it's active or passive income, because even active income, I see a lot of times people, they don't, they just take it and put it all back in their business. And I've had this conversation with so many entrepreneurs. I'm like, so what happens if your business goes to, goes to zero tomorrow? You pretty much everything you've worked for is gone because you've got all your eggs in that basket. And I get it that that's all you know how to do. But at the end of the day, you know, you have to be able to take some percentage of out of that uh, active income and be putting it in this pot so that 
you're building this pot from both active and passive, and you're diversifying your active income because that way you're not completely dependent on you know your business or your job, which is what ultimately gives you the freedom is is to be able to make this pot as big as possible as fast as possible, and that's that's always my goal is how can I compound this pot as fast as possible and in in a relatively safe manner. I know I'm going to make some bets. And as I as the pot grows, I'm also able to make more risky bets on certain things that I call them, you know, asymmetric risk versus return. If you make a bet and it wins, it can be a, a huge gain. Whereas if it loses, it doesn't change your life because you've got this pot that's being refilled. And so, you know, the more you can do that, the more you 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 uh, grow the potential of you getting outsized returns over time. Yeah, and let's take that one step further because I love asymmetric risk reward. And let's say, you know, this is something that you and I do where you take an investment and uh, so the risk could be it goes to zero if you're in a stock. But what happens if you invest in a way that you're mitigating that risk? It's an asset that can't go to zero, right? So now your downside is maybe only a 15% loss, but your upside is pretty massive. Well, now you're creating even greater asymmetric risk reward, which is cool. And then if you pile on four or five or six investments just like that, you only need one to hit. All the others could fail. And it's also still mitigating risk on the downside as well. So you're mitigating risk with the variety of options and with the exponential return that only one has to produce, but you're also using money that you don't need somewhere else. It's just cash flow. So it's not going to affect your life if it doesn't work. And so all these strategies I think are so, so important. And you know, you, you mentioned this, it's like most business owners have all their money, all their profit right back in their business. But we know that less than 10% of businesses survive. I think it's 4% of businesses survive over 10 years. Yeah. Right. So, so the odds are actually really good. If you're a business owner, that's going to fail at some point in time. Or, or it's going to take your revenue is going to take a hit, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So maybe it still survives, but it impacts your life tremendously, your lifestyle. Right. So yeah, putting some, putting your profit into something else to diversify, I think is a great, great move. Right. And, you know, even in the even in the stock market, you know, there's lots of different ways to invest in the market. I mean, there are some strategies that are, you know, very, I would say, relatively safe way to generate consistent income, you know, with very high probability of success. Like I trade certain options where, you know, the probability of success is 80 or 90 percent in some of those trades. And uh, it's it's great. It's like literally tapping into a money pot if you know how to do it. (laughs) You just need a, you need some money. Whenever I need some money, I get an extra expense. I literally go make a trade that has eighty percent or ninety percent chance of ending in the in the in the gain. And you know, so most of the time it works out that way. Obviously, I might lose twenty percent of the time, but that's okay because eighty percent of the time it's 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 a winning trade. So it's it's just about finding things that are within your comfort zone, right? And and expanding your comfort zone over time. Um, by learning about different opportunities and different business models. And that's one thing I love about you is that you you think like me in terms of finding out-of-the-box stuff. And one of the reasons that we've 
being able to, you know, find and put together some of these deals is again, it's the power of collaboration. Also like, you know, coming in as a group and investing as a group has a lot of power to it, right? Because then you're able to negotiate sometimes better terms or, you know, certain perks in the, in the deals as a group that you wouldn't be able to get as a small investor. Or sometimes you get access to deals that, you know, you wouldn't even be able to because of the minimums, right? I've, I've had so many times where I wanted to be in a deal, but the only way I could do it is if I, if I brought some other of my friends or family and came in as a group where we can now take, take uh, you know, get in that deal because the minimums were too high. And that's really what, you know, the, the high net worth and the institutional you know, investors do is they have the power of that collective capital, right? That's, that's why the best deals are always reserved for them. And this is where, you know, there's a huge disadvantage for the small guy is, is how do you get access to those deals? And yeah, there's things opening up now and you're seeing like more like reg, reg A plus deals that allow, you know, non-accredited investors to invest in private companies. And that's all great. And it's going in the right direction. But at the end of the day, still the best deals are still usually reserved for the larger investors. So having a powerful group that can go in together or that, you know, that network that you talked about, um, which is why, you know, we've been able to do a lot of deals successfully is, is, is really powerful. And, and, also knowing who you're investing with, you know, a lot of times I'll invest in companies where I follow successful people. I'll see, you know, is this founder had success before or who are the other investors investing in this and, and, and why and talk to them and see, you know, what's their rationale behind it. And, you know, most of the time I learn something from that and they probably have a lot more experience than I do. I, I love it whenever I can get a chance to invest alongside institutional investors because the level of due diligence that they do is way beyond anything that I could do, right? So it's always good to write off other people's knowledge and and build on it, right? So if I can get in a deal where they've already done a lot of that due diligence and there's big money coming in, it gives me a little more confidence. Of course, there's no guarantees that the deal is going to work out or that they're right, but you know the chances are more in your favor. So basically, anytime I can push the odds in my favor. Like if I can do a trade with 80% probability versus 40% probability, then I'll do that trade a lot more often, right? So it's the same thing goes for investing in companies is if I can find that combination of other investors, team, uh, or, 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 you know, product market fit and kind of find something that has a much higher probability of success, it's not the, you know, eight out of 10 that failed, but it's in the two out of 10 category. That's when you know you know you you you've got you're on the right track. You're never gonna have it hit every time, but you just want the odds in your favor. So over time, you're gonna be ahead. Yeah, and let's take it even one step further. Some of the things that you and I like to invest in are deals where we have specific knowledge. So because we know we can help the company as investors, it actually de-risks the deal. If we know they're going to listen to us and that we're going to have influence more than just our money talking, but they'll actually listen to our ideas, our expertise, uh, you know, our advisory, 
then that really protects our investment. And I think that that's huge. We've done that on a lot of deals, but you bring up a good point early on, the power of a network. And and I wanna say this on two different levels. Number one, it's important to have a network that has deal flow. You know, be part of groups that have deals, that have action, that has tons of opportunities. That's so important. That's why I love my mastermind and my private coaching practice, you know, my my lion clients, my lion's network, as I call them. Uh, and, you know, and, and I have an investor's club. And, and all this is so great because... Uh, it, it does what you say. It allows us to get preferred terms. We get better terms than what a retail customer is going to get. And I think that that's huge. And, you know, the, the more uh, the more people you have that are interested in investing, the higher quality investors, uh, the more prominent of a name maybe that the group that you have, uh, kind of uh, the, the cachet that maybe that that brand has, the better deals you get, the the you know, really the, the lower minimums you can get, the, you get reduced fees, you get, there's all kinds of perks. And we've experienced this, you and I firsthand on many, many deals. Yeah, well, there's deals that we wouldn't have gotten into if it wasn't for, for, for that combination of stuff. Right. Yep. And, and um, so I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's really always good to keep building on that. And it's something that I spend time constantly building on. And, you know, you you always have my lens is always looking for opportunity so it's like i find opportunity in the craziest places right like i'll go to a class you like do I, went, I can vouch for that yeah you like do. I, I went to a class a few years ago and it was an expensive class right it was like it was a, a business buying course and it was like you know 10 or 15 grand to attend this thing for three days and i didn't go with a specific intention like okay i'm gonna you know, start doing this full time or whatever. But I went to expand my mind and my network. And I literally met one guy there. And we did two deals together last year. And from someone else in my network. And, you know, I got my first dividend check out of that yesterday. And it basically covered the cost of my class in one, one check so far. So, you know, hopefully there'll be more over time. But that's the kind of exciting stuff that comes out of it sometimes when you can figure out how to connect the dots. And that's something for me, I'm always looking in any deal or any investment or any company I'm invested in uh, is how can I connect the dots? How can I add value to them? Or who can I connect them to? Or how can I create a win-win scenario, right? Where we can make the pie bigger and everybody wins. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it, it's interesting. There's so many directions we can go. I wish we actually had more time. We're probably going to have to do another uh, podcast at some point in time because, you know, we didn't even talk about tax planning and tax strategy, which you and I, we we do a lot of that together. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to save that for another time. But you mentioned something earlier that I want to bring up that's really important. You have uh, a, a very consistent uh, pattern and habit of interviewing investors in deals uh, to know long term how they feel about maybe a general partner or uh, an organization, whatever it looks like. I think that's great. You mentioned that. I just want to bring attention to it because it's part of my practice as well that you really need to know what other people who have been working with a, you know, a company and their investment dollars have been committed for a series of years or a series of deals. Uh, I think that you learn a lot there. Yep, exactly. And that's something that I see very few people do. It's, it's, it's right there. You know, I always, it, that, that, I apply that principle in general to business. 
And whenever I can learn from other people's experiences or get inputs from people that have already been in it or involved in it or know those people. Because at the end of the day, what is business? It's literally a bunch of people doing doing stuff together, right? Creating stuff and creating commerce uh, or solving a problem. So the more you can learn about the people you're involved with, it's it's always been helpful. And of course, you never get it right 100% time, but you know, We've been in stuff where we thought we knew the people, right? And then it, it's not always the case. But at the end of the day, again, it's always about giving yourself that edge and improving the odds of success, right? And the more you do stuff like that, the more you're in, putting the odds in your favor. And, and over time, I think it, it, it works out better for you. And piggybacking on other people's success too. You know, we, we touched on this briefly, but, you know, I just want to make a point that like, for me, I'm not an expert in um, let's call it tech startup or, you know, SaaS. Like I've got enough knowledge to be dangerous. I have some investments that have done really well, but I also recognize that's not my specialty. So I'm going to lean on people like a Naval Ravikant, right? Like he's brilliant. He has one of the best track records in angel investing, owns AngelList. And I think that's a great platform to, you know, be able to do some investments on. And so like that makes it easier for me to invest and to say, hey, instead of investing in companies here and there, why don't I invest in all the companies that Naval invests in? Or why don't I invest in his personal rolling fund, uh, you know, Ravikant Capital? Because that one has, you know, it, it, his eyes are on it. This is his baby. This is, you know, he's got more cash of his own in this than anything else. That to me, is another way to kind of hack how to invest for success. And you can do that in any category. You can do that in real estate. You can do that. You know, we didn't even get into the specifics of things that we negotiate on like a debt deal or having short, you know, the goal, obviously trying to get our money back in a year, maybe two years, but in a year's time, you know, is really the goal. How fast can you get that money out? Because the sooner you get it back, uh, the, the less risk it has. The, you know, once you get it back, no risk, but a lot of the time you can have equity upside. Right, exactly. And, and actually, in the more recent years, I've been, you know, definitely leveraging the power of funds and, and uh, you know, um, syndicate deals, because, again, it's that network effect, right? You, you can't do those deals on your own, and you can't do that number of deals on your own. So if I can invest in a fund where I, I know that the operators are good and they know what they're doing, then I'm never going to have that level of domain knowledge and I'm not going to dedicate the amount of time that they do, right? But the moment, anytime you can align yourself with, with people that have that, that knowledge and that expertise that you don't, you can magnify your results and you can accelerate your results uh, just by being in certain you know, structures like that. And I know, you know people say a mixed thing about funds, but you know, to be honest, there's not too many ways you can, you can diversify uh, on your own, the way that a fund might do it, or, you know, and finding good funds where, you know, you know that there's domain knowledge or they do something specific that they're very good at, right? That's when you have an edge. And a good track record. Yeah. Even investing in a fund, like, you know, they have an edge because that's what they live and breathe, right? So for me, I don't need to live and breathe real estate because I have people that live and breathe that. So I, I can invest in them. And that allows me to get more leverage on my time and 
on diversifying the type of deals I'm in because I don't want to be 100% in real estate. Like, I, it's great that there's people like that. That's that's all they want to do. But for me, I'd rather have 10 other people like that working, you know, on my behalf in their specific industries. It, for me, it just de-risks, you know, it's just a way of de-risking for me where, you know, if one of those things goes down, great. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, lose sleep over it. And, you know, I've been through situations in my life where, you know, I was out, like knocked out. I've been through bad accident where I literally couldn't work, couldn't move for, for months. And, you know, thank God for having, you know, learned some of this stuff and implemented it earlier on because I didn't have to stay up at night worrying about, you know, how am I going to pay my bills? And that's the worst thing. That's the last thing you want when you're trying to, you know, recover from some other crisis or health or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, the last thing you want is that pressure of not being able to pay your bills, which sadly is the case for a, a, a large majority of the population is they, they wouldn't make it through that phase because they're never prepared enough. Yeah, it's incredible that you have been able to experience that. Like you worked hard to become an investor, to have cash flow, so that if anything ever happened, you didn't have to work. I mean, what a great scenario for you. It's the it's the best case of a worst case. No one wants to have a life-threatening injury, right? You almost died. No one wants to have that, but you had the best scenario for someone that goes through it because, you know, you have a lot of investments and you don't have to work. You work because you like to. You work because of the thrill of the game, you know, just like I do. It's a it's a blast. It, money and investing becomes a game at a certain point. Once you get out of survival mode, it becomes fun. And, you know, you talking about investing in funds and syndications. I love both of those as well. In fact, I, you know, I mentioned both of them in detail in my book and on the, the fund side, which is just a collection of a bunch of different investments. So it pools the risk, makes it less risky. And on a syndication, that's just raising money with, you know, a bunch of investors and you've got, uh, you know, an experienced uh, professional operator and, and team managing the project. So that's all it is. It could be a single project. Um, it could be multiple projects, but th that's basically what a fund and what a syndication are. And, and I think they're great. And when you do invest in those, you got to be careful because some of those are done on like a capital call structure, meaning you don't put the full investment in right now. So you might commit a certain amount of money and they raise, you know, they, they take 20% of it, you know, right out of the gates. And then maybe it's 20% the following um, you know, quarter, or maybe it's a year later, or maybe it's six months later, and you need to understand that structure. But I also think it's really important to have a plan. A lot of people, they get into these capital calls, but they overcommit. So then when a call comes and they don't have the funds, you could really get in trouble there, right? Because they could buy you out at a lesser value. That's what, you know, a lot of these groups are notorious for doing. So um, I think it's important when you have a capital call structure that you're allocating however much it is and you're putting it into another account. So I've got accounts, investments, let's call them, I mean, they are investments, they're, they're, I call them accounts, but they're really investments where I get cash flow on that money. But I let that money sit in there generating cash. So it's not just in a bank. So I'm getting something on my money and I actually get a decent amount. Most of these are anywhere from eight to 12% interest that I earn. Uh, and so then when the capital call comes and they say, oh, we need X, you know, by the end of the month, it's easy to draw that money out of that investment 
but I didn't have to set it aside where I wasn't earning any interest on it. So I think that's another good strategy if you're going to invest in anything like funds that have you know a capital call structure or other syndications that that do it that way. That's a great point. And and to add to that, you know, a lot of times opportunities may come up where you know you need to deploy capital. So one thing that I always do is I'm constantly looking for ways to improve my liquidity and set up, you know, whether it's access to different lines of credit or I'm finding where I can always do that so that I, I hopefully don't end up in that situation where I literally don't have the money, you know? And I mean, yeah, there's times when you reach that point when you've just deployed too fast or, you know, you've had too many opportunities come up. So it's a good problem to have, but I'm always looking at ways. And, and it's surprising to me how, you know, how many people I know that are, you know, make a lot of money, make really good income. And yet they're always cash poor. And I'm like, what do you, how are you managing your cash flow? And so that's, you know, something that, that I mentor people on is how to always, tap, you know, have access to different pools of capital that you can pull from. And, you know, money being as cheap as it is, if you plan it in advance, you can set up, you know, multiple ways to access some of the capital that's probably sitting there. It's locked, whether it's in your home, it's equity line or it's in your brokerage account that you can you know, borrow margin against, which a lot of people don't realize they can do. For cheap, really cheap money, really cheap interest. One thing, one tip on that is you can actually negotiate the margin. And that's another thing. If you call your broker, most of the times they will, you know, the, the, the off the shelf rate is like significantly higher. I've been able to negotiate stuff down from like 8% to like 3%. In, 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 in my margin account. And, and it's only because I had those conversations and I pushed them to do it. And, uh, you know, otherwise I'd be paying 8%. And so a lot of times people get deterred by just seeing that, you know, what's on the surface. Sometimes I've been able to negotiate with credit cards to get, you know, my interest rate lowered. And if I need to borrow cash for a short term, I'll just borrow it from the credit card and, you know, minimize my interest rate and pay it off like in a month or two, if I know I'm going to, you know, have the cash done. So it's just about setting yourself up. So you always have options for liquidity. So you're never in a situation where, whether it's for an expense or it's for, you know, capital call, like you mentioned, or for another opportunity that comes up where you just don't have the money and you, you miss out on that, on that, or you, you don't have a way to deal with that situation. Well, yeah, those are great points. And yes, it is so good that everyone knows that everything is negotiable. All right. Any financial anything, as well as just about every area of life is negotiable. That's so important. My motto is um, you don't get what you want in life, you get what you negotiate. So that's true. That's a very good point. And you know, you, you made another good point about how so many people, I know a lot of people that you know, they're so focused on building their net worth that they're cash poor, right? So they might have this big sounding net worth, but they have an expensive lifestyle they've got. Um, you know, it, it's hard for them to keep up with it. if something happens with their job or their business closes, they're, they're crushed by the cost of their lifestyle because they don't have, they barely are cash flowing it. And I, I think that you want to be really careful there. It, it's probably better to create a lifestyle that has the cash flow to support whatever you want. And that might just be starting today, whatever that looks like for you and getting cash flow going. But to me, cash flow is way more important than 
you know, net worth, you know, and a lot of net worth is paper money. It's not real money. It's not, it doesn't even exist until there's a a liquidity event. And so, or, you know, you, you sell your business, you know, for example, like your business might be worth, you know, $10 million, but you don't get anything from that until you sell it, if you can even sell it. And if you do sell it, they may say, we need you to run it for four years. So, you know, there's a lot of things to, to look at there. And when I look at, you know, overall health, uh, financial health. You know, you look at a business. It's so funny because a lot of people in business they look at a profit and loss statement and they think that's the most important thing. But to me, cash flow that the, the cash flow statement is the most important thing. So it's also comical. And obviously, you, you want to have your your balance sheet as well. I mean, those are your three most important statements. But uh, if you look at your personal life, it's it's the same. Like um, personal life net worth. Uh, you know, that's like balance sheet. That's like P&L stuff, right? But cash flow, your cash flow statement of your personal life might be the most important component to your quality of life, to buying your time back, to allowing you to live the life that you want to live. And it's surprising, uh, you know, you mentioned that, but it's surprising to me how few people actually know their numbers, whether it's their personal cash flow or their business cash flow, because you know, I think we're wired to just see what comes in, right? And you're like, oh, this is great. This is growing. And and I know companies that have literally gone bust because they didn't manage their cash flow. And some of these were, you know, companies that were around for decades and didn't, you know, got hit in a crunch time, couldn't manage their cash flow, couldn't pay certain bills, and they lose everything because they were just too tight on the cash flow side of things. And you know when it, and, and one element of cash flow that a lot of businesses or individuals miss is is tax planning, right? Is like how, how much money is just stuck there, whether you know you overpaid your taxes or if you underestimated and then you suddenly get hit with it. It's the proactive tax planning and knowing how to optimize that cash flow. You know, like I, I'm that's something I put a high priority on and it's something I coach and consult other folks on is how to do that and how to, you know, not give away too much money ahead of time and how to obviously implement strategies to minimize how much you're going to, you're going to give and then how to use that to balance and manage and optimize your cash flow. Because if I can make a certain investment that's tax friendly and it's, I know it's going to reduce my taxes well, yeah, I put my cash in there now, but then I don't have to make these payments uh, that I would have had to make to for the taxes. So, you know, I can optimize my cash flow in many different ways when you consider like even the tax impact of everything that you do. So I'm always looking for that. You know, that's always kind of one of the top things that I look for is even, you know, some very unique ways that you can do that with certain funds and investment vehicles that is just not common knowledge uh, where they tax optimize or that they're looking at it from that angle, which then translates back to you. So, yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, there's so many things. I mean, Dinesh, we could get into so many more topics. Quite frankly, I think this is already officially the longest podcast that I've had, which is fun and cool and unique. I mean, we could keep talking for another hour. I, I can't, but I mean, we really could and we probably should in the future. But I just wanted to thank you for joining. Uh, this has been awesome, enlightening, fun. I just love having conversations that I would I would have anyway, where other people get to listen in. And 
you know, really get a chance to hear what it is that we're talking about. Um, I've had a lot of people express the the value that they get from that. So thanks for sharing your time. Uh, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a big uh, social media person. I most of the stuff I do is quite private, but you know, um, I definitely can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook, Dinesh Galba. And um, I think those are probably the easiest ways. And of course, they know you. So if they ever want to reach me, they can reach out to you. And I'll be happy to connect with anybody uh, that, that you want me to connect to. That's awesome. Well, thanks for your time again, Dinesh. And to all of our listeners, my goal, my mission, uh, my encouragement to you is to take some action today. Take one step in the direction of the life that you want to live and intentionally move towards financial freedom. Thanks for your time. And we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Justin. That was a lot of fun. Sure was. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who could benefit from this episode, would you share it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all the resources mentioned, visit www.justindonald.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor.